You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast and radio show defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and in this week's lesson, we're going to be talking about why I am a creationist and why you should be too. And I really think that the more closely we look at this, we should have the same exact reasons for being creationists. And I'm excited to talk about that, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this week's lesson. So let's get started. There are four primary reasons why I believe that biblical creation is true. And not only is it true, but I believe it's the best explanation for uh, the world we see around us. I believe when we ask those important questions like, you know, who are we? Why are we here? You know, does life have any ultimate purpose? Does it have any ultimate meaning? Um, is there a reason for the way things are? I think these questions have to be dealt with. Um, if it were not for these questions, the field of philosophy would not exist. Okay, so uh, these are questions that absolutely must be dealt with. We can't just skirt them under the table. And in recent days, it seems like uh, scientists have uh, somehow taken up, um, you know, on, on their platform and tried to, to answer this question. And if I'm being honest with you, I don't think science can answer these deep philosophical questions. Um, and it's really uh, interesting. There are some people who just don't even think we exist. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you grapple with that question, okay? I mean, here, here's, here's the reality of things. We exist, okay? Um, you know, if, if you want to deal with, you know, this at a different level, well, well I don't even think we exist. Uh, if you ask me that question, I'm going to ask you who is asking, <laughs> okay? So I think it's quite obvious that we exist. We're here. And we have to deal with that. And when you start thinking about such philosophical questions like, man, we're here. How do we deal with that? Can science really explain that? Or is there a God? If you go past the superficial and you really start taking a critical approach to these types of questions, I think what you're going to find is that there are some deep, deep deep questions that we need answers to, that naturalism, materialism, mere humanism just can not produce. I, I don't see how they can be produced naturalistically. And so if we were just to stop right there, that would be a good enough reason for me to believe that there was a God, because it really looks like that somebody made this world. I mean, the design that we see around us in this world is absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it's breathtaking. It's absolutely breathtaking. And to think that it just happened on its own, and yet the most simplest of machines require human intervention is just incredible. But we know that humans die, and we know that humans are created, right? So humans are not the uh, first cause, you would say, of the universe. So, so we can't just even attribute it to, to humanism. There is no explanation until you go outside of our world. And when you look outside of our world, 
that is where you begin to see the mind of God. But the beautiful thing is that God gave us his word. What is the word of God anyway? Well, the word of God is the Bible. And the Bible is a book that God inspired and God worked through these writers. He could do that, you know, they're his creation too. He worked through just over 40 writers over a period of about 2,000 years, and they worked together to create the most beautiful masterpiece known to mankind. The Bible, it's, it's the most cohesive document that has ever been written. It's actually a collection of 66 different books, and the harmony between them is absolutely astounding. So there are four reasons that I can point to that lead me to the conclusion of why I am a creationist, and they're the same reasons why I think you should be too. Let's take a look. So the first thing, number one, is that God's Word, the Bible, is true. Now, we just started talking about the Bible a little bit. Now, what does it say? Well, the Bible gives us a couple things in concerns um, to creation. Now, it actually mentions creation in many, many spots. We don't have the time to go over them all today. But let's look at a couple things. Of course, we know creation is the primary focus of the Genesis 1 narrative. And it is a historical narrative. There is nothing allegorical. There is nothing poetic There's no strange literary devices going on. I will say it is unique, okay? There's actually no other passage in the Bible that is written in quite the same way that Genesis 1 is. And we could talk about that at some point, but primarily Genesis 1 is a historical passage. There are some incredibly bright Hebraists. These are guys who study the Hebrew language for a living, and they will tell you that, okay? Um, Genesis 1 is a historical narrative. It is meant to talk about real history, bottom line. And Genesis 1-1, the very first book of the Bible, says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we could stop right there. That is why I'm a creationist, first and foremost, because the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I trust the Bible as God's word to be true. Now, do I take a blind faith in the Bible? No, of course not. Well, you can talk about that uh, in the future. The Bible is true, and it is self-authenticating, and history, all throughout history, archaeology, the sciences, the Bible is always confirmed, never denied. The Bible has been proven to be right time and time and time again. And so on matters where it's impossible to prove that it was right, like creation, like heaven, like hell, I take its word to be true, because everything that we can possibly prove conclusively We've been able to see it's got a perfect track record. Now, there's there's more discoveries to be made. Archaeology is is not you know complete. We've not found every archaeological evidence for the Bible, but that doesn't matter because it's been true so far. And the Bible in Deuteronomy gives its own um, qualifications as far as being self-authenticating. It says that if a prophet comes by and um, the prophecy turns out not to be true, then the prophecy was not from the Lord. And so that's how Deuteronomy puts it. And 
that's another area where prophecies, over 2,000 Bible prophecies have been fulfilled to date. That is a pretty good track record, and not one of them has been missed. The only ones that have not been fulfilled are still future events. So I think that's a pretty good thing. Now, the Bible also tells us how God did it. For in six days, this is Exodus 20:11, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And what he's talking about there is this is the Ten Commandments, okay? He's talking to Moses and the Israelites here, and what he's dealing with is the Ten Commandments. He's getting ready to tell them exactly what they need to know and to do to obey him. And the very, very first thing he says... It's for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. I don't think you can get more clear that this is a six-day creation. And we can go through in Genesis 1 and look at that. Evening, morning, number, day. Every indication for the word day is given to mean in context that it is a 24-hour day. Many times the old earth proponents are arguing, uh, well, the Bible can mean a length of time when it uses the word day. And of course it can. We talk about that uh, in our regular language. Well, you know, it, back in my father's day. You know what I mean? We talk about that. But that's not what the Bible is doing in Genesis 1. And that's the question that needs to be asked is not, not what can it mean, but what does it mean? And when you critically ask what does it mean, I think it clearly means that God created the heavens and the earth, and for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. And ultimately, in Romans 3, 4, it says, Let God be true, and every man a liar. Isn't it amazing how many have come along the scene, right, trying to disprove the word of God? But the Bible says, but every man a liar. Let God be true. So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm letting God be true. I'm letting God be the ultimate authority in my life. You know, every person has an ultimate authority. Your ultimate authority might be science. Your ultimate authority might be your own morality. For me, I choose for my ultimate authority to be God. And I think you should make that choice too, because the Lord can do so much in your life. He can work through me and he can work through you. And all he asks for is faith and trust in him. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that's all he's asking for. The second thing is that biblical creation is the only evidence and explanation for the preconditions of intelligibility. Well, what do I mean by that? In order to make logical sense of an argument or of the next thought in my head or of the next word that I speak, there are a few things that have to make sense for us. Number one, the words themselves, the thoughts that we think, have to make sense. They have to be logical. They have to be reasonable. But you've got a problem. On the atheistic worldview, there is no rhyme or reason to this. There's no reason to expect that we would uh, have a mind. There's no reason to expect that we would be able to do what logically makes sense. The laws of logic, like the law of the excluded middle, or the law of non-contradiction. In order for these laws to make sense, 
it would only make sense that there was a lawgiver. Now, I know we don't abide by these laws in the same way that we abide by a speed limit necessarily, but it is a good illustration of that, okay? Laws don't just come into place. Now, when science uses the word law, it's typically describing an observable um uh, something in nature that makes sense because it's a pattern. It's something that makes sense no matter where you are in the universe. But how do you explain that on a naturalistic worldview? There's no reason for it. Well, God says in his word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And God obviously created us to have that capacity for knowledge. So I think that it only makes sense to attribute it to a brilliant mind. When we use logic and reasoning, we're getting a window into the mind of God. So that's one precondition. The second precondition is uniformity of nature. In other words, in order for me to um, be able to, to speak, to have coherent thoughts, there are certain things, such as the laws of nature, that have to be the same continually. In other words, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I should not expect to walk out of my bedroom into my living room and find a lion to have spontaneously generated there playing with my dog's toys. Okay, that's not how it works. There's uniformity in nature. There's not chaos. Now, of course, there is catastrophe, but there's a difference between catastrophe and chaos. See, even catastrophes, in certain cases, you can look at them and see where they were precisely ordered. Okay, there's there's a lot of science, okay, and there's a lot that, that goes into play when you consider a tsunami or we consider a hurricane. But things don't just randomly appear. Things don't just randomly happen. Everything happens for a purpose and it's, it's dialed in. And everything about the universe that we expect to see consistent tomorrow, just like it was yesterday. There's no reason, there's no basis for believing these things in a naturalistic worldview. Now, naturalists do believe these things, but they borrow from God to do it. Christianity, the God of the Bible, based on his word, is the only explanation for the fact of uniformity in nature. And then thirdly, whatever we're doing, we need to know whether or not it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. And that implies a moral choice. Now, if we're just rearranged pond scum, the product of chance and death and suffering over millions and millions of years, then why in the world should we trust ourselves to know right from wrong? How, how, at what point in the evolutionary process did morality become a thing? Why does it even matter? If we're just animals anyway, animals don't have morality. Only humans can access the idea of morality. So where does that come from? I think it means that we are a special creation. I think it means that we are different from the animals. I think it means, like God says, that we were created in His own image. It's the only explanation for things. Dr. Greg Bonson put it like this, the transcendental proof for God's existence is that without him, you wouldn't be able to prove anything. Isn't that so true? I think that is really, really true. I wrote it like this the other day, by failing to acknowledge that God exists, atheists exercise blind faith and their ability to reason. Isn't that true? It really is true. 
And so for that reason alone, uh, even if number one were not the case, I, I just would have a hard time believing that we just uh, plopped our little place out here in the universe and propped up our tent and, uh, and here we are. That's not how it happened. We were specially created with a design and with a purpose. So God's word, the Bible, is true, and biblical creation is the only explanation for the preconditions of intelligibility. The third reason why I'm a creationist is because Jesus was a creationist. He sure was, but you didn't know that. Jesus was a creationist. Now, let me give you a couple of concepts here. If we look at the Bible as a whole, we understand, of course, that Jesus is God. And while Jesus himself was um, limited in a human form when he came to this earth, he never laid aside his deity, his, his part in the Godhead. He's still the Son of God. And to be honest with you, it's complete heresy to believe anything different. What God did lay aside was his glory. And we must not undercount the humanity that was a part of this process. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. I can't explain all that, but I know it's true. And so since he was fully God, but yet he was fully man, he was limited in what he could know. That's evidenced by the fact that God um, withholds from him when he is to go get his bride, the church. But he's still God. He's still God. And so if we look at such a broad spectrum, then Jesus, of course, wrote the Bible. <laughs> right? I mean, it, we understand that. So, so everything that the Bible says about creation would make Jesus a creationist. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's even something known as a Christophany, where we believe that the risen, or not the risen Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ before he came to earth as a baby made appearances. Um, we especially think that theologians do when we look at statements like the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Many times we believe that means it was a Christophany. But Moving further than that, we can actually point to times in the Bible while Jesus was on earth that signifies to us, hey, wait a minute, he was a biblical creationist. Of course, Jesus referenced the Old Testament um, many, many, many times, over 200 times. And Jesus actually referenced the creation account, uh, I believe, over 20 times, if I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly, some aspect of creation. But I want to look at just one verse that I think clears up a couple issues and takes it all into account. And that's Mark 10, 6. It says, from, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, we tackle a couple of important things right here. God, Jesus, in this verse, is displaying to us that he's a biblical creationist. So, let's break down that verse. But from the beginning of the creation. Okay, so Jesus is telling us that there was a beginning of the creation. 
there was. He says, from the beginning of the creation. So there was a beginning, there was a creation. So that's step number one. And we can see further evidence of that if we roll over to the book of John, where we see this classic discourse, and I think it's worth reading. It says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And if we skip down to verse number 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see here that Jesus was in the beginning of the creation. He was the creator God, and he kept that consistency when he came into his humanity. He says that, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them. From the beginning of the creation, God made them. And then, of course, he goes on um, to this male and female. And we're going to be talking soon on my blog about marriage. I'm pretty excited about that, looking at a biblical idea of marriage. But but the, the, the point here is, is that God created the male and female at the beginning. That's why there's marriage. That's why there's any concept of, of marriage or of males and females getting together. And it all makes sense. This is why the idea of homosexuality just makes no sense in the biblical framework. God made them male and female. And when he made them, he made them for a purpose. And I don't want to go too far off on a tangent there. But this also deals with another issue. If you read between the lines here, you see that at the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, let me ask you something. If we've been here under an old earth framework for millions and millions of years, if this earth has been here for billions of years, then male and female were not made at the beginning of the creation. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus was saying that from the beginning of the creation, God made male and female. Day six. Do you get that? If, I mean, this is clear as day. Jesus Christ is a literal biblical creationist. And therefore, I think we should be too. We can't discount that. That wherefore by as one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Romans 5.12. That's telling us that God is not the one who brought death and suffering into the world. Rather, man brought death and suffering into the world. But an old earth interpretation, or an evolutionary interpretation, they say that death brought man into the world. It's the complete opposite. And so when atheists argue for any sort of ethic, when they argue for human rights, uh, when they argue for even for animal rights, it's completely inconsistent. You're borrowing from the Bible when you do that. Only in a biblical worldview does treating your fellow man with love make sense. Every other religion in the world has borrowed from the Bible in that regard. 
every person in the world who believes that the world should be a better place, who believes in loving your neighbor, who believes in doing things for other people, who provide humanitarian efforts. Humanitarianism started with Christians, with people who were interested in the biblical command to love your neighbor as yourself, and of course, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, don't make any mistake here. Not only was Jesus a creationist, but the only way that the framework for the world makes sense is through this lens of biblical creation. And the last reason why I'm a creationist is that when you're looking through things with the right worldview, through the right lens, through the right eyes, the evidence makes sense. I told you in the beginning that ultimately it's impossible to prove things like heaven, like hell, like creation, like the fact that there's going to be an ending. It's impossible to prove those things. We'll know one day, um, atheists will know one day, okay, when they meet God, because the, the Bible says that every tongue is going to confess, every person is going to bow, and they're going to confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know this, and we're waiting for that day, and what a day that will be. But while there is no way to just prove that God created the heavens and the earth, okay, we have to we have to work off the fact that that is a belief, that is a faith and a trust that we have, which we're perfectly fine with. We still must consider the fact that there is plenty of good evidence to show that there was a creator. And so... What kind of evidence would that be? Well, here's the thing. It's the same evidence that folks use for evolution, okay? It's the same exact evidence because we all have the same evidence. We all have the same facts. It's all a matter of how they are interpreted. And we can't forget that. We have to remember that. So uh, consider, you know, the Grand Canyon. The naturalist looks at the Grand Canyon and says, well, it's been there for billions and billions of years. The, the layers were laid down over billions and billions of years. Well, the creationist looks at that and says, oh, no, there's no way. Scientific testing has proven that erosion like this would be a fast process. Sedimentology has proven that um, the evidence is completely consistent with what we would expect under uh, flood conditions, under catastrophic conditions. The arrangement of the world is based on uh, a, a catastrophic framework. It just is. There's no escaping that. And even evolutionary scientists have started looking down those routes. If we look at a cell, one human cell in the body is more complex than the spaceship, the space shuttle, which to my knowledge is one of the most complex, most advanced machines humanity has been able to produce. There's incredible design in nature all around us. So I think there's extreme evidence in that regard. There's evidence... Um, from astronomy. You do the calculations on the fact that the moon is moving further and further away from the earth every year, and when you do the math and the science behind that, it turns out that the earth-moon system could not have been here for more than a billion years. And of course, that's a high estimate number. We realize that's, that's a maximum number, okay? So we're not saying that the earth is, you know, a billion years old, but we are saying that there's no way the Earth-Moon system could be that old. And so now we have to somehow figure out a way to make that make sense and figure out an explanation for the Moon. Well, they've not been able to do either of those things. So the evidence makes sense 
when we're looking through the right lens and the right worldview. And this is why, to a Christian, the theory of evolution just doesn't make any sense. We look at it and we're like, we don't even understand it. We don't understand how somebody could be so blinded. And then, of course, we look to the Bible and see that, indeed, Satan is going to blind the eyes of men. And we also see that if a person rejects God for long enough, this is all in Romans 1, that God is going to give them up to their own affections. He's going to let them do what they want to do. He's going to let them believe what they want to believe. It's just exactly how uh, what happened to Pharaoh in the book of Genesis. Pharaoh hardened his own heart many times. And after that, we see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He gave himself over. And so that's what we see happening with so many people today. And it's an absolute shame. It's a travesty. But there's hope for them. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. That hope is found only in Jesus Christ. And as long as the Spirit is still speaking and still working on a person, He can come to the knowledge of the truth. Why am I a creationist? Because God's Word is true. God's Word is true. And He's going to judge this world one day because He made the rules. He created us. He made the rules. He's going to judge the world one day. And He told us all about it. Let's get ready and let's get others around us ready for that day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for allowing us this opportunity to share. And I pray that you would just help us to become bold witnesses for you, God. I pray that you would help us to share these truths with others, Lord, in a way that is um, winsome and attractive, Lord, but also in a way that is piercing, Lord, in a way that helps them to realize and see the error of their ways. And Lord, that in fact you did create the heavens and the earth and that you're in charge and that you're going to judge the world one day. And I pray that you would help us to help others to see that and to realize that. We love you, Father, and we thank you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me uh, this week on the Creation Academy. Again, these first few episodes, we're just really getting to know each other. Here soon, we're going to dive into some good stuff, do some book studies and things of that nature. Hey, um, check out the, the ministry on steveshram.com and um, head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Creation Academy to find out how you can help support this ministry. God bless you. I love you all so much. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week here on The Creation Academy.